big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Karen, Keelan, Tiffany, Rona, and Desiree. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes, bonus episodes, and more, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. And now enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 29 and 30 of Emma. All right, pasta. What kind of pasta are you having? So Mike's Instagram algorithm has been feeding him vegan recipes recently. Oh, good. And um, do you know that there's that one vegan Instagrammer who just does recipes all the time and she looks she's like German and she's re- really small and she does yeah. a lot of like Maya fit green mind yeah yeah so she has an el olio uh-huh. recipe that's vegan um and it came up on Mike's algorithm the other day and he was like oh my god this looks amazing and I had to be like yeah that's like a really common Italian dish <laughs> yeah so he made it tonight and it's fantastic oh good so. I'm really, I'm really enjoying myself. Although it's not vegan, he did add mozzarella cheese. I have to tell you, I had a horrible thought while you were eating it. What? So you, you took a bite of pasta. Listeners, Becca took a bite of pasta. So there's still some pasta hanging out of her mouth, right? Like she took a bite. Now, if you are watching The Last of Us. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Say it. So like the fungus like grows out of the infected's mouth. The mouth tendrils. The mouth tendrils. It like comes out. As they out. say on the ringer verse. And in the episode that I just watched, a character who I will not name for spoiler purposes, like gets kissed by an infected person and the tendrils like reach out and like go into their mouth. And anyway, Becca just had pasta hanging out of her mouth like that. <laughs> This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma. Emma! Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen books before. And I, Molly, had never read Jane Austen before starting this podcast. If you want to check out Molly reading through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can check out seasons one and two of this podcast respectively, but that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking about volume two of Emma, chapters 11 and 12, or if your book isn't broken up into volumes, that's chapters 29 and 30. We will call these the um, blue ball ball. The blue ball ball. Wow. <laughs> yes, that is what we will call me. So uh, <laughs> gross. Becca, do you want to tell the listeners where we left off? So Frank Churchill is in town, the son of Mr. Weston and therefore Mrs. Weston's stepson. He and Emma are flirting up a storm by being petty about pretty much everything, but particularly Jane Fairfax and her family. Mm-hmm. Jane has received a piano forte. I should say. From a mystery person. A piano forte from a mystery person. 
And we have suspicions that Mr. Knightley might have uh, the feelings for Jane Fairfax. Yes. And Harriet continues to pine over men. Yeah. I feel like I'm being very loud tonight. I also feel like I'm being very loud. I had like one drink at a work happy hour and I am like bouncing off the walls because I'm elderly now and cannot hold my liquor. If I drink this too fast, I'll throw up. Listeners, I don't know exactly what our age demographics are, but I feel like some of you are in our boat, which is like approaching 30. It's making me become a person who can no longer drink alcohol. Yeah, I can't hang, as the kids say. (laughs) They say that. I don't even know. I feel like that's a thing. Um, You know who can hang? Frank Churchill. Frank Churchill can hang. Not Mr. Woodhouse. Not Mr. Woodhouse. Yeah, no, actually, if there was a way to describe Frank Churchill, it would be can hang and wants to hang so bad, which is how this chapter starts. Yeah, the absolute life of the party. The blue balls ball. Yes. So it starts out with Jane Austen in her rocking chair saying, young people would be fine if they just never danced. But once someone gets a taste of dancing, they're going to want to hang. And Frank Churchill wants to hang. He must have a dance. So one day, Emma and Mr. Woodhouse are hanging out at Randall's. And Emma and Frank spend the whole time figuring out a plan for how they can have a dance at Randall's. Emma's only able to get behind this idea because she knows that people were talking about her after the last party. And she knows that they were talking about how she and Frank danced together and she wants to give them something to talk about. And this is also a great moment because she's like, this is something where I'm at least a little bit better than Jane Fairfax. Whenever we play the piano at the same party, I'm embarrassed. But this time I can be the center of attention. Yeah, she's like, Jane Fairfax dances like a wet towel. Yeah, she's like, Jane Fairfax, eat your heart out. And Another reminder, what have we talked about with dancing in Jane Austen? It's sexy. And why is it sexy? Because you get to touch hands. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So they want to have the same group for the party that were at the Coles party. And they start naming people. Emma, Harriet, Jane, the two Miss Coxes, plus the men, which would be the two Gilberts, the younger Mr. Cox, Mr. Weston, Frank, and Mr. Knightley, All in all, making five pairs. But here's my question. They want to have the same party from the Coles, but not invite the Coles? That's such a good question, and I don't have an answer for it. I looked it up, too. (laughs) It's just like, they. this doesn't make sense. This happens again later where they're like, well, come ask Miss Bates. And I'm like, you didn't invite her. Oh, well, Miss Bates, once they, like, establish they're having a ball, I'm sure, like, Miss Bates is invited. Okay, okay. So she's one of the, the women. I guess if you're inviting Jane, you're going to invite Miss Bates. They're related. So that'd be weird. Absolutely. But not the Coles, though. Fuck them. Oh, yeah. No, fuck the Coles. <laughs> so they think that five couples doesn't make enough of a party. And so they're like, oh, God, well, then who else can we invite? And they figure that if they're inviting the Gilberts, then they have to invite their sister and their mother. And then there's also the younger Cox boy. And then Mr. Weston is like, oh, well, we have this like these cousins and this old friend of mine. And all of a sudden they have 10 pairs. And that is too big for Randall's. Yeah. They're like, oh, crap. We don't have any room for all those people. Frank suggests that uh, maybe they could open up the doors between the two rooms at Randall's and use both. 
But Mr. Woodhouse says, well, the draft will make Emma catch a cold. And he turns to Mrs. Weston and he's like, Frank is very thoughtless. And Mrs. Weston is like, uh, oh, no, uh, no, uh, close all the doors, close all the doors, because she doesn't want him turned against Frank because she wants to get them together. Exactly. Mrs. Weston playing matchmaker all over the place. Yeah, honestly, she's taken over Emma's role in this regard in this book. Yeah, she really has. Emma's taken a break to flirt with Frank Churchill, and Mrs. Weston's like, I'll take up the mantle. Yeah, she's loving it. Frank then is like, "Uh, yeah, no, like, we'll be fine in this one room with 10 people. And Emma's like, no, that's going to be too crowded. Like, there's nothing worse than dancing in a crowded room. And I just, I have this image of Emma at a concert and everybody else is like in regular everyday clothing but Emma's in her Regency era gown and she is just miserable also like not miserable and like oh I'm so sorry this is terrible wait like Emma miserable which is like Becca's making faces at the camera it's a big eye roll yes and like a snobby ugh these people, they are gross by me situation. I have to say this entire chapter, though, as much as like I want to say that Mr. Woodhouse is being ridiculous or any of them are being ridiculous, like I get it. I don't want a crowded room. I want the window. Well, I want the windows open later on. Mr. Woodhouse is going to be like, why would you ever open the windows? But like I'm saying, like, keep the airflow coming. I mean, this gives you COVID flashbacks because nowadays we're all like, hey, let's keep a window open just because we now understand how like air circulates. Yeah. And, And similarly to what Emma's thinking right here, like, yeah, I don't want 10 people standing in this or sorry, it'd be 20 people standing in this tiny room together, like open up the doors. Let's get this party spread out like six feet apart also reminder that this is like the regency era so when they touch for the dances we're talking palm touching getting a little close but when there's too many people around there's a lot more closeness it's not like we're having a grind train here or anything this is like you know this is supposed to be like a little distanced right Mm. so emma says too crowded we don't want people that close and frank is like yes Totally. You're so right. It's the worst when it's too crowded. But the thing is that how else are we going to do it? Uh, I think it'll probably be fine. Like we started talking about a party and I don't want to disappoint anyone. And and we can fit 10 couples in this room. Fine. He's being very wishy-washy. Well, I mean, why does Frank want a ball? So he can dance with Emma. So that he can do what? So that he can touch hands with Emma. (laughs) The hand flex. Yeah. Frank Churchill is trying to get a ball going because he's enjoying the company of Highbury, but also because he wants to touch palms. The hottest thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. As we've learned from like not only Jane Austen books, but Jane Austen adaptations, which teach us that yearning is the the key. <gasps> and palm to palm is Holy Palmer's kiss. This is too nerdy. This is this is too nerdy for our Jane Austen listeners. Molly is quoting Romeo and Juliet when Romeo and Juliet meet and uh, they touch palms for the first time and then they make out. I feel like Shakespeare's like the pre-code era to everything that followed. But it is that same experience of touching someone for the first time. Mm -hmm. And what they do in Jane Austen novels is they quip back and forth at each other for a while before they touch. Mm Mm-hmm. By the time they do touch, it's like electricity. Yeah. Lightning bolt. Electricity. Are, are you singing Billy Elliot the musical? Yeah, I'm sorry. No, don't be. It's beautiful. 
<laughs> Go on. Inside me. And Emma does have a thought. She thinks to herself that if she had intended to marry him, she would think more about his motives for everything, like why he wants to have the ball, why he's disagreeing or agreeing with her. But she doesn't intend to marry him, so it's fine. She'll just take the compliment. The Not to quote Shakespeare again, but the lady doth protest too much. Oh, my God. So much. Let's see. How many times can we quote Shakespeare in this episode? Oh, God. Don't say that. <laughs> have you not heard that I've had one alcohol already? Yeah. And have you not heard that my alcohol is 15.4%? <laughs> oh, our poor listeners. <laughs> so, okay. The next day. Frank comes to Hartfield in the morning and tells her that they've come up with a solution and they just need her to approve it. He's decided that the ball will be at the Crown Inn. He says, you were totally right last night. There was not enough room for all those people. I just wanted to have a ball. You know how it goes. And she's like, okay, yeah, that's a good plan. Let's do it. So she goes to her dad with the idea He thinks it's a terrible idea because the inn is going to be damp. There's no proper air circulation, like we've said. How would he know that the the rooms have been aired out properly? And Frank says, actually, it's much safer than doing the party at Randall's. This is one thing I wanted to ask about. He says that Mr. Perry might be sad about the change, but nobody else should be. And Mr. Woodhouse says, you're wrong to think Mr. Perry that sort of man. I think what he's saying is that you know, we'll give Mr. Perry less business because none of us will catch colds. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, how dare you? Mr. Perry cares deeply for the health of everyone in this community. I get it. I get it. (laughs) I thought he was saying that, like, Mr. Perry cares about not getting sick. So, like, he would be glad he would be upset. I don't I didn't really get it. I get it now. Thank you for explaining. (laughs) He's saying, yeah, we're going to give the doctor some business. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, the doctor doesn't want business. The doctor only cares about the health of the people here. Got it. So Mr. Woodhouse and Frank are going at it. I want to say that they are not getting along. Well, I I find this interaction interesting because if you compare it to like a Mr. Knightley or a Mr. John Knightley, uh, it's different in that I think Frank is almost like amused by Mr. Woodhouse. Yes, in the same way that he's amused by Miss Bates. Yes. Which is a little insulting. It's a little Logan Huntsberger. Very Logan Huntsberger. Like, he's going to steal something of Mr. Woodhouse's behind his back and then hold it up to Emma and be like, hey, Emma, look at this thing that I stole from your grandpa, or her dad, rather. And then she's going to be like, put that back, and then she's going to get in trouble for it, like similar to season five of Gilmore Girls for example. Spoiler alert, but... If anyone hasn't watched Gilmore Girls at this point, I am sorry for the number of references that we make on this show. It's because Gilmore Girls is about old school, high class people. Right. And also a bit of a class critique, although a slightly incomplete one, but putting that aside. um, (laughs) That's another podcast. Yeah, that's another podcast. But... It it has similarities in how people interact and the dynamics of the relationships. So it's really easy to point to these Jane Austen characters and be like, that's a Gilmore Girls character. Yeah, exactly. And that doesn't happen as easily with like any pair as like Logan Huntsberger and Frank Churchill. Yeah, they're so, uh, <laughs> so similar. So 
Mr. Woodhouse asks him why the inn is a better choice. And Frank says, well, it's larger, so we will have no reason to open the windows, so there won't be a draft. Because there will be good enough airflow already. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, well, I, w- I, would, and I was never thinking about opening the windows. I wouldn't even open the windows at Randall's. Who's opening the windows at a party? And Frank is like, ah, uh, we young people occasionally slip up and open a window. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Mr. Woodhouse is like, oh, I guess I'm not in touch with what people are doing these days. But I, I would never. <laughs> he then says that if Mr. and Mrs. Weston would come over and talk this whole thing over with him perhaps he could be convinced and frank is like well i don't really have the time and emma immediately is like no no, no, no. there's plenty of time like it's okay we'll, we'll get them to talk to you here's the thing we talk about frank being amused but like if he's trying to court emma he needs to cater more to mr woodhouse like he needs to like coddle him like how everyone else does even though it's annoying, like, he has to. Well, what does it say about Frank that he's not doing that? Either he's not trying to court Emma, which is one theory of mine, or he doesn't care because he's Logan Hunsberger and he doesn't need her parents' permission. Although Logan does ask, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah. And it is also important to remember that uh, Frank is not as polished as he should be all the time. Right, right, right. He doesn't know societal... He might know them, but he shirks them. Yes, noted. (laughs) Emma points out that the inn is close for the horses uh, to the stables, so that'll be convenient for the horses. And Mr. Woodhouse says, well, I can't trust Mrs. Stokes, who I'm guessing is the innkeeper, because I don't even know what she looks like. Like, how can I be sure she's airing out the rooms properly? And Frank says, well... Don't worry, like Mrs. Weston's going to take care of everything. And Emma says, oh, Papa, that must convince you because Mrs. Weston is the most careful person we know. It's such like the vibe of like, oh, if my friend who's so careful is going to this thing, like I can go to that thing too. Oh, we all had that friend where like if they were going to the party, your parents were cool with you going to the party. Yeah. Were you that friend? Me? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Being the friend that's like, oh, she's a nice girl. Yeah, go with her. Yeah. Like, you won't be drinking if Molly's there. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you'll get home safe if Becca's around. <laughs> this is what it means to be parent bait. Yeah. So, Mrs. Weston, parent bait. Yes, absolute parent bait. Or Miss Taylor, we should say, if we're Mr. Woodhouse. Yeah, he keeps doing that. He'll, like, in the middle of a sentence, be poor Miss Taylor that was. <laughs> It, it's like it's like parentheses always. It's like, oh, Mrs. Weston, we should say poor Miss Taylor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's great. I love it. Mr. Woodhouse then starts reminiscing about the time that Emma had the measles because that was when Mrs. Weston, Miss Taylor, was taking care of her. And he says Mr. Perry came over four times a day during that time and blah, blah, blah. And then Frank is like, okay, well, the Westons are actually at the crown now And Emma, can you come and give them some advice and, like, talk to them? And he knows just how to butter her up. He says, they can do nothing satisfactorily without you. And she's like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll come. And so they go to the Crown Inn, and they find Mrs. Weston stressed and Mr. Weston just loving everything about it. Mrs. Weston is complaining that the wallpaper is peeling and stained and dirty. And Mr. Weston says no one will be able to tell by the candlelight. And then we get Jane Austen in her rocking chair again saying that the women probably looked at each other and 
gave a look that says men never know when things are dirty or not, while the men probably think to themselves that women are so nonsensical with their little trivialities. But the main problem with the crown in that they're finding is that there is no supper room, only a card room, and they're going to need that for cards. Or if they don't play cards there, it's still too small for a proper supper. So they think, well, there's a bigger room, but it's on the other end of the house and it's connected by a long passageway. And Mrs. Weston is opposed to that because the passage will cause a draft for the people. And Emma and the other guys are opposed to the card room because it's going to be too small and they'll be crowded. So we're at an impasse. (laughs) Mrs. Weston says, well, what if we just have sandwiches? And they're all like, that's a terrible idea. Which I feel like is the most universal thing one could possibly say. Have you ever been on a trip and everyone's like, where should we have lunch? And someone's like, what if we just packed sandwiches? And you're like, no. Yeah, yeah. You're like, no, we want to go out. I, I don't I don't want some crappy piece of bread with a little bit of Swiss cheese on it or whatever. I mean, you're vegan, but like. Yeah, like, I don't want soggy hummus. Oh, there is nothing worse than the vegetarian option when the sandwich is provided. Yep. Ugh, this is universal. It's always a fucking pile of roasted peppers with some hummus and nothing else. Yep. Occasionally (sighs) like a a spinach leaf. Yeah. And that's if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And then and the hummus is like soaked through the bread. So when you pick it up, it's just squidgy in your hands. It's also usually a wrap, like a dry wrap. It's usually soggy peppers and hummus in a dry wrap. And they're like, yeah. And the hummus has leaked out of the butt and it's just like in the saran wrap. (laughs) It's so true. It's like the universal, oh, we ordered sandwiches for everyone situation where you're a vegetarian and you're just like, no. You're like, I'll be eating potato chips for lunch. Thank you. It's like, yes, thank you for the potato chips and the small apple. Maybe a cookie. Oh, if you're lucky. Yeah. The thing is, like, there's great vegan sandwiches out there. Not even putting aside the fake meat ones with, like, veggie burgers or seitan. If you have not had a chickpea salad sandwich, you are missing out. So true. Mm. Mm. And put it on a baguette. Doesn't even need to be a baguette. But give me, like, a sprouted bun. Mm. Live your life. Yeah. Ugh. Uh. Sandwiches are delicious. But packed beforehand sandwiches where everyone else gets their roast beef or their turkey and you get, like, soggy And that's just it. That's the noun of what you get. It's just sog. I don't I don't know the word because sog is actually delicious, but that's different. Yeah, that's different. And I also that's Indian food. Oh, wait, no, I can't eat the paneer. (laughs) Yeah, you can eat sog, right? I can eat sog with tofu. uh, And it's delicious. Oh, yum. But soggy sandwiches, just awful. Yeah. Yeah. So so I relate to everyone being like, no, we're not doing sandwiches. How dare you? They're like, we want a real dinner. Yeah, exactly. So then Mrs. Weston is like, okay, well, this room isn't so small. And Mr. Weston, meanwhile, goes to the passageway. And he's like, actually, this passageway is not too drafty. It's actually quite short. So they're like, okay, maybe we could do either of them. And Mrs. Weston is conflicted because she wants to know what the guests would want. At this point, Frank suggests, why don't they go get Miss Bates, who is a woman of the people, and she'll know what the people want. Emma says Miss Bates will be so grateful to be asked for her help that she won't even listen to the questions. (laughs) That's probably true. Very true. But Frank still wants to ask her because she's so amusing. He wants to be amused by her. And then he adds to Emma, you know, I don't need to bring the whole family because he knows that she doesn't want Jane coming. 
Mr. Weston thinks it's a great idea. He says, oh, she is a standing lesson of how to be happy, which I really liked for Miss Bates. But it's also kind of a read because it's like, man, her life is terrible, but here she is. So true. She is happy anyway. Yeah. Then Mr. Weston tells Frank to bring them both. And Frank is like, the old woman? We can't bring Mrs. Bates. She'll never get out the door. And Mr. Weston says, no, you blockhead Jane Fairfax. Now, I'm so sorry, but I cannot help but think that Frank had this as his intention all along. Because he says, oh, uh, right. I did not immediately recollect saying like, oh, I I forgot that she was even there. That's a bold-faced lie. 100% because he just joked about it with Emma. Yeah. He said, I don't have to bring the whole family. He just said that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he goes. And before he comes back, Mrs. Weston goes into the passage realizes it's not too long, not too drafty. And they're like, okay, so we can use the room on the other side. It's fine. They basically solve the problem. And by the time Miss Bates gets there, they've fixed it and they just need her to approve of it. And she does, which she's good at just approving of everything that everyone does. And before they leave, Frank is sure to secure Emma for the first two dances. And Emma overhears Mr. Weston whisper to Mrs. Weston, he has asked her. I knew he would. It's literally him going over to Mrs. Weston and being like, things are beginning to grow in the lasagna. Oh my God. Yeah. Mr. Weston is also playing matchmaker heavy. Yeah. And that's the end of that chapter. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Which brings us to volume two, chapter 12 or chapter 30. Emma does not want to get her hopes up too much for this ball because they had to schedule it after Frank's two weeks are up. And she does not think the Churchills are going to agree to let him stay. However, when Frank writes to them asking to stay, 
While Enscombe is not happy about the decision, they do agree. They're just so passive aggressive about it. Yeah. They're like, yes, of course you can. But they make it really clear that they don't want him to stay. Right. Mm. Hmm. So now Emma is annoyed at Knightley because he's so indifferent to the ball. Emma thinks that he's feeling left out because they made the plans for the ball without him. But also he like doesn't dance and doesn't really enjoy balls. Uh, He tells her that he had to say yes to the invitation, but he would much rather stay home and get work done. I love him. I love him so much. (laughs) He's like, I'd rather read over William Larkin's report. He's like, I have things to do and you're dragging me to go dance at this ball. And you know what? I'm not not even going to dance. I'm just going to watch people dance. He's like, I hate watching people dance. He says, you might think that you're the center of attention and people are enjoying watching you, but actually they're always thinking about other things. You're not that special. And Emma's like, and she's like, oh, that's a slight at me. Yeah. She's like, "Okay, I see how we're playing. Like, that's pointed. Which is also perfect because we are privy to some of Emma's thoughts. And she had had the thought that having a ball would be fun because people would see how good she is at dancing. People were going to talk about her dancing. So Knightley knows her and reads her like a book. You're so right. Like, we literally had her think that, and then he called her out. Exactly. She is, however, she's nervous that he doesn't want to go to the ball because he thinks that Jane doesn't want to go to the ball, and he's, like, doing it for Jane, blah, 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 blah. But then she talks to Jane, and Jane is so excited about the ball, and she's like, okay, good. Knightley doesn't want to not go to the ball because of Jane, so I think that Mrs. Weston is wrong about that whole thing. Again, the lady doth protest too much. She cares way too much. Also, just the idea of Jane being like, oh, I'm so excited. Thank you for throwing a ball. I'm so excited to be there. It's just very cute. It is very cute. She's like, oh, I'm so, I hope nothing's going to get in the way of the ball happening. She's like, I'm just so excited. I'm going to wear a nice dress. It's going to be lovely. And it's like, oh, Jane, you pure animal. (laughs) Alas. There was soon no leisure for quarreling with Mr. Knightley. I just really liked that because she loves quarreling with him. Um, But soon she has no time to do that because a letter arrives from Mr. Churchill saying his wife is sick and she was suffering so much when she wrote him the other day, but she didn't want to worry him. And she never thinks of anyone but herself and all of that. But Frank must come home immediately. Hashtag manipulative. So here's the thing. One, I agree. But two, I don't know who to believe because he says, oh, like your aunt never thinks of herself and blah, 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 blah. But like he's he's saying that because he's also a terrible person, right? Like he's not he's not telling the truth and Frank's not lying, right? I will neither confirm nor deny. Okay, yeah, I figured you'd say as much. I just think that like we don't know yet if we can trust Frank's account of the Churchills that they are like selfish and all this stuff. I mean, I guess Mr. Weston has said it too, and we can trust Mr. Weston. But like, is there a possibility that actually Mrs. Churchill isn't like the evil stepmother that we all think she is? I don't think that there's a possibility of that. But when I was reading this, I was like, I don't know who to believe 100%. Just putting that out there. Well, we're going to talk about it more in the study questions. Oh, great. So Mrs. Weston tells Emma about this letter, and she says that Frank isn't really worried about his aunt. He says that her illnesses always arise when they're convenient to her. Basically, she's making it up so that he has to come home, and he has to go. 
no matter what. She tells Emma that he only has time to come to Highbury to say goodbye to a few friends, and so she should expect him soon. And Emma is sad. She is really feeling her feelings. Yeah, that heart has dropped to the stomach. Yeah, she like was really enjoying their time together, and she's going to be more sad about it later. So we'll talk about it then, but she is pretty sad. Meanwhile, Mr. Woodhouse is mostly concerned about Mrs. Churchill, and he's like, I wonder what she has. Like, they should really send Mr. Perry over there. <laughs> Imagine you just like, you are Mrs. Churchill, and you're not feeling well, and then this doctor comes in, and he's like, don't worry, I'm Perry. I will take care of you. <laughs> and she's like, who are you? How did you get in my house? He's like, shh, I'm Perry. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, that is a t-shirt. I'm Perry. Don't worry. I mean, don't tempt me. <laughs> Perry the platypus. But in doctor's garb. In in like Regency era garb. I will do it. Perfect. So Perry the apothecary shows up for uh, Mrs. Churchill and it's just like, don't worry, I'm Perry. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> he puts a, a platypus arm on her and says, it's okay. Don't worry. I'm Perry. I'm Perry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that tickles me. I think we need to put that on a t-shirt. Perry the Apothecary. Listeners, if you want to don't worry, I'm Perry shirt, just let us know. <laughs> so Frank arrives at Hartfield and he seems depressed. And Emma thinks, oh shit, like he's really sad to be leaving. Emma wants to know if he's ever going to come back. And he says he's going to try, but he's not sure he'll be able to. And Emma says, well, if you're not coming back, we'll have to give up on our ball. And Frank says, oh, why did we wait? Why are you always right about everything? And Emma loves that. Oh, yeah. But she says in this case, she wishes she had been wrong. He says, if I can come back, then we'll have the ball. And he says that he's had the two best weeks. He says every day he spent there makes him less fit to go live anywhere else. Just a sweet sentiment. This part is an interesting part. I, I, I have portions of this highlighted coming up oh yes but yes emma asks if we at highbury exceeded his expectations and at this point i like leaned forward in my chair because she's calling him out that he's never come before and she says you would not have been so long in coming if you had a pleasant idea of highbury so did you have a negative idea of us and have we exceeded that he laughs uncomfortably but emma knows from his laugh, that she's right. Emma asks him if he has to leave this very morning, and he says, yes, my dad is going to pick me up from Hartfield, and we'll go directly. And Emma says, well, it's too bad you didn't get to say goodbye to Miss Bates and Miss Fairfax. And he says, actually, he already did. He says, Miss Bates is the type of person that you must laugh at, but that you wouldn't want to slight. So he wanted to visit them first because, and then he walks to the window and says, I think you can hardly be quite without suspicion, dot, 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 meaningful look. And then this is where I highlighted. Coming oh, wait, share. He looked at her as if wanting to read her thoughts. She hardly knew what to say. It seemed like the forerunner of something absolutely serious, which she did not wish. Forcing herself to speak, therefore, in the hope of putting it by, she calmly said, you are quite in the right. It was most natural to pay your visit then. He was silent. She believed he was looking at her, probably reflecting on what she had said and trying to understand the manner. What is that? I don't know. I had to read it like three times. Let's let's break it down. 
I'm also going to pull mine out so I can look at it. Read it again. Read it again. It's a great passage. Jane Austen writes with so much subtext here. So in short, said he, perhaps, Miss Woodhouse, I think you can hardly be without suspicion. This is all after he's said that he visited the Bateses first because he wanted to give most of his time to Hartfield. Uh, it says he looked at her as if wanting to read her thoughts. She hardly knew what to say. It seemed like the forerunner of something absolutely serious, which she did not wish, forcing herself to speak, therefore, in the hope of putting it by. She calmly said, you were quite in the right. It was most natural to pay your visit then. And he's silent. He's reflecting on what she had said and trying to understand the manner. She hears him sigh. It was natural for him to feel that he had cause to sigh. He could not believe her to be encouraging him. A few awkward moments passed and he sat down again and in a more determined manner said, it was something to feel that all the rest of my time might be given to Hartfield. My regard for Hartfield is most warm. So he's trying to tell her he wanted to spend more time with her, she thinks. And she thinks that she, that he's trying to figure out why she's not acknowledging that. This is a profoundly charged moment. Yeah. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot happening here. And whatever it is that they go very English on it and they avoid talking about it entirely. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's one of those moments Jane Austen writes where you feel it with the characters as it's happening. And um, we're, we're in Emma's mind right now. So whatever's happening, she wants to part of her really wants to be there in the moment and hear him confess these things to her. But instead, she glances off of it, rebounds it and says, let's go back to just talking about the pleasantries of the town of Highbury for a moment. Right. And what is unreadable in Frank is exactly how and what he was going to say in that moment. Because he was going to say something. He was going to say something. And she just like cuts it off. And she cuts it off because that's not where Emma is in life right now. In fact, why does she cut that off? Why doesn't she want to hear it? Because, and we'll get to this later, but she knows that if he were to confess his love to her, she'd be gone. And she doesn't want that because she's Emma and she has her life that she's settled into that she doesn't, that her, her life that's enough for her, that she's said, like, I don't need anything more than this. And if she risks it to fall in love with someone, she's afraid of getting hurt, of shaking things up, and then being unsatisfied when she comes back to her regular life, being let down by what she does get out of love and it not being as good as her regular life. Juicy. Really juicy. Huh. Wow. Hmm. Come on, Frank Churchill, giving us the deep moments. Yeah, it's been a minute since we've had a charged moment because Emma has so far been such a light book because Emma doesn't have problems, as we've discussed. But she doesn't have problems because she doesn't let herself have problems. She could have a big problem. I mean, yeah, Emma's bad at opening herself up to these things. Yeah. So he tells her that his regard for Hartfield is most warm and he's like pacing back and forth. And Emma thinks to herself that he's more in love with her than she had thought. But at that moment, her father comes in and kind of puts a damper on the moment and like puts it to an end. And Frank Churchill composes himself. Mr. Weston arrives. It is time for him to go. And he then tells her that he made Mrs. Weston promise that she would keep him in the loop about all the goings on. So he was going to hear about them. Frank says goodbye. He goes. And Emma 
is devastated. She is afraid of feeling too much. She says that she's she has to like tamp it down. She had gotten so used to seeing him every day and she's heartbroken about the idea of going back to her old routines, kind of like what we were just talking about, like why she doesn't want to fall in love. And she thinks to herself that he almost told her he loved her. And then she thinks, oh, shit. Am I in love with him? Such a good question, Emma. She's like, I must be or I wouldn't be this sad that he's gone. And she thinks to herself, at least Knightley will be happy that we're not having a ball. But actually, Knightley says he's sorry for that she won't get to have her ball. And a few days later, she sees Jane And Jane is very composed about the whole thing. However, I will note that Jane was sick with a headache for a few days. And Miss Bates says that had they even had the ball, Jane wouldn't have been able to go because she was so sick with a headache. But I just want to note, because I have my little theories about Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill, that Jane Fairfax was sick with a headache for three days after Frank Churchill left. And she was similarly sick with a headache after Mr. Dixon moved to Ireland. So I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know what it means, but that's the end of that chapter. That is the end of that chapter, which brings us to Becca's study questions. We don't have many, so we'll go through them quick. So what does having a ball mean to Highbury? Highbury doesn't have a lot of balls because they're not, quote, of the mind of dancing or whatever it is that they say. In Highbury, I feel like all of the young people have some sort of beef with each other. (laughs) it's a small town yeah so there's always going to be drama it's mostly a chance for the young people to get together I think it seemed like the people they were inviting were all of the sons and daughters not like the parents yeah there's a way in which the society in Highbury is like a little lacking in terms of like the social life that one might get in like a London Mm -hmm. and you can feel that here and you see it in some of the other Jane Austen books we've read like the excitement of the Netherfield ball was very palpable in Pride and Prejudice. And in Barton, you can see that they do not have more than dinner parties. Right. And to, to go to party parties, they have to go to London. And so here in Highbury, having a ball is like a real time for society to gather. And frankly, it's a Tinder situation for anybody who's single. Mm. So true. That's why they were like matching people up. They were like, we have to have this many men, this many women. That's also about who can dance with whom as well. Sure. Um, Because, you know, (laughs) the men have to dance with the women and they all have to. We've we've all seen the movies. We know what the dancing looks like. It doesn't look sexy. I promise it's sexy. It's about the yearning. I have to say, I will. I know that like now that I know more about Jane Austen, this podcast is like shifted in tone like ever so slightly, but nothing will ever beat me reading Pride and Prejudice, not knowing what the dances were going to be like, and then watching <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and being like, oh, listen, you have surprises to come. Don't don't count yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, no matter how much you knew about Jane Austen, if you have not seen 2005, the, the Pride and Prejudice adaptation, you're not prepared for the amount of pig testicles that will be on your screen. Oh, the pig testicles. Uh, horrible. Yeah, awful. All right. Uh, do we believe the Churchills? Slash, do we believe Frank about the reason for leaving? I don't know. Um, I believe that he got a letter from them. And I believe that that's what the letter said. I don't... Hmm... 
Well, actually, that's a good question. Like, do I believe the letter? Do I believe that he got a letter that said that? Because he seemed too willing to go for what he knows about. He's like, oh, yeah, like, she's fine, but, like, I still have to go. Well, what would compel him to go, generally? Money. Like, he's not going to get anything from them. If they turn him out of house and home because he doesn't do what they want, sure, he wouldn't. He would go and do what they say, but I don't know. What if they're really nice people and and she's actually sick? I don't know. I don't think that's what's going on here. But I, because I worry that he's like too much like them. I don't know. That whole thing is mystifying to me. Something's afoot. Something's afoot for sure. I just don't know why he went so. He was, I mean, like he was sad about it. And Emma said, like, she sees that he's sad about it. But I don't understand, like, why he was like, yeah, well, like, she's fine, but I still have to do it. Next question. Does Frank love Emma? So the first time I read this, until we had our conversation about the deepness of that moment and the charged nature of it, I thought that Emma was misreading it. What what did you think her misread was? I thought that maybe... Now, again, I have my little theories about Frank Churchill and Jane Fairfax. I thought that he went to Jane's house first because he likes Jane more. And, like, this whole time... It's been about Jane and Emma's just misreading the whole thing. Um, and that what he was trying to say, like, you must know by now. And she's like, yes, that you're in love with me. But he's like that. I'm in love with Jane. I don't know. That could be completely wrong because after we've talked about like how charged that moment is for Emma, I feel like it must be similarly charged for Frank. But I don't know. I feel like she's a pretty perceptive person. And she's much more self-aware than we give her credit for sometimes. So I don't know if he loves her. He was going to tell her that he loves her, but he might have been about to tell her that he likes her or that he likes someone. Uh, I want to believe that he loves her, but I don't know. I feel like, honestly, Emma could use a bit of a, like, just punch her down a few Notches, uh, an like, ego check. <laughs> yeah, someone she I, she could use thinking someone's in love with her and then finding out that they're in love with someone else. That like I think that she could use that. Fair enough. Does Emma love Frank? Honestly, maybe. Like just because she's never even really had a crush on anyone before. I don't think that she is like I don't think he's her end all be all. But I think that she could very easily have a thing for him and like maybe be a little bit in love with him or at least in love with the idea of him, which she has been for a while. Um, But I think that she has never caught feelings the way that she caught feelings for him. And she got it in a very intense way. They were at summer camp together, essentially. Like you're with someone for a couple weeks. Oh, man, that is the most intense crush like the ever. You're like. I love you. I'll love you for the rest of my life. And then like three weeks after summer camp is over, you're like, oh, right. That was just summer camp. But I think that that it's a little bit like that where she's like, oh, my God, I saw him every day. Like, what am I going to do without him? Yes. Yeah. Are we going to see Frank again? God, I hope so. Okay, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. What do you think of Emma? She's honestly at her most relatable right now because she is realizing right after she totally shut someone down that she actually is potentially in love with them um, or at least has a big crush on them. (laughs) Very relatable content from our girl Emma Woodhouse. Yeah. We want what we can't have, you know? So like 
even when we don't want it. We're like, mm, but was that the wrong choice? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, funniest quote. The party did not break up without Emma's being positively secured for the first two dances by the hero of the evening, nor without her overhearing Mr. Weston whisper to his wife, he has asked her, my dear. That's right. I knew he would. Oh, I love Mr. Weston. I love their dynamic. So pure. Questions moving forward? Again, I'll repeat your questions back at you. Does Emma love Frank? Does Frank love Emma? Will Frank come back and will they have this ball after all? Does Knightley have a crush on Jane? Who is Jane secretly in love with? Whomst? Is Harriet okay? No, Harriet's not okay. I'll answer that one for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Harriet's not doing well. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are my questions. Who wins the chapters? Um, I do feel like most people lost in these chapters. Most people lost, but I think... I either want to say the Westons for like really going full full on to support Frank and having this party or Emma for just like she could use a win right now. So like Team Church House generally? Team Church House, yeah. I think so. I don't know. Wait, what do you think? Oh man, it's hard with these chapters. I I mean one could give it to Mr. Woodhouse because the ball isn't happening. Thank goodness for him. So true. He really wins <laughs> in terms of like who comes out with what they want. It's Mr. Mr. Woodhouse. Woodhouse. The ball's canceled. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. Yeah, let's give it to Mr. Woodhouse. <laughs> All right, listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. For next week, you want to read volume the second, chapters 13 and 14. Or if you're following along in a non-volumed copy of Emma, that would be chapters 31 and 32. Is that correct, Molly? Yes, I was just oh, I was just checking. Yeah, you're amazing. All right. Then since I'm amazing, Molly, stay proper. And make sure to open all the windows at your next party. Or don't. There'll be a draft. <laughs> but we love a draft. We love a draft. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.